I wonder, what do you think God is like? It's one of those big questions and our answer to it shapes our response to all kinds of things, probably more than we imagine. Do you think God is an angry absentee landlord or kind and loving? Hi and welcome to St Ninian's Church in Stonehouse. I'm Stuart and I get to be the minister here. Today we're thinking about some big and difficult questions, all raised by what we've come to know as the parable of the talents. But here's the thing, I'm not sure we've really understood what the parable is about properly. Today I'm joined by Catherine and Lewis. Catherine will lead our prayers later, but let's listen now as Lewis reads our scripture for us. Matthew 25 verses 14 to 30 For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave, you knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow, and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him, and give it to the one with the ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a parable about using your talents. God has given each of his gifts, and so we should use them to multiply the kingdom of God. So, off you go. Get on with it. What are you waiting for? Each of us has been given gifts and we're supposed to use them to make the world a better place, to bring the kingdom of God into reality. What's even better is that, according to this parable, that as we use our gifts, we will be blessed and rewarded. And a warning, that if we don't, some kind of punishment awaits. There's a gigantic problem with this parable, too, actually. The parable isn't about money. This is a story about love and mercy and justice and good relationships because that's what everything in Matthew's Gospel is about. Just like money, we think love and justice and mercy might run out. We think that we can use them up. We think that they're limited and that if we give them away, we'll have nothing for ourselves. Or we think that we could somehow spend those things in the wrong places or on the wrong people and that we would get nothing in return. The master would rather the third slave had put the money in the bank so that he would have got interest 
than Barry in a field. But money is just an illustration, one that we understand. We get what interest is, we know how that works. You put your money in the bank and they give you interest. You borrow money from the bank and they charge you interest. But that's not the whole story, is it? You put your money into the bank with other people's money and it allows someone else to borrow that money to buy a house. They pay interest on the loan and you get some of that interest for helping out. So even when it seems you're not actively doing anything with your money, your investment is actually at work helping someone else. Just watch It's a Wonderful Life and see how George Bailey's savings and loan works and all the good that it does. Just like that, we need to see the money in the parable as a gift to the whole community. The second issue is about who the master is. And this is the most difficult part of the parable. The parable, I think, deals with some big questions. The biggest questions of all, what do we think God is like? So, what's the master in this story like? The master, according to the third slave, is a harsh master, a horrible man who reaps where he does not sow. Isn't that how most of the world sees God? It's certainly how God appears in the Old Testament. We assume that because the third slave tells us the character of the master that the slave is right. But what if he isn't? Why do we trust the word of the slave? Because we do. We trust it because the ending of the parable confirms it. The master seems harsh. Throw this worthless slave out into the darkness. It's such a Matthew ending. He's all about judgment. But remember, Matthew's idea of judgment is that it's an opportunity to make things better, to reconsider, to repair, to purify or mend. So let's see the ending is separate. And we'll get to that in a minute. Jesus came to show us that our understanding of God was wrong. Literally to show us what God is like. And if God is like Jesus, then God isn't angry or vengeful. But that doesn't stop people thinking that God is like that. It doesn't stop people thinking that God is absent. They do, and maybe we do too. So what is the master in the story like? He has gone away and left three servants, each one in charge of an unbelievable amount of money. Even the one who buries the money is left in charge of a lifetime's worth of wages. That doesn't sound like a master who doesn't trust him. Perhaps the master is right about the slave. Perhaps the slave is wicked and lazy. Even though the master knows this, the master still entrusts that wicked and lazy slave with more wealth than the slave could ever imagine. Look at what the reward for the other two is. The master says that they have been trusted with a little. A little? It's more money than they could, or we could probably ever imagine. It's not a little. But surely that tells us something about the master's attitude. Even though we think it's a massive amount, to the master it's just a little. Nothing to be upset about losing. For doing well with what they were given, the first two get even more responsibility. They're invited to enter even more fully into the work of the master. And perhaps more importantly, they are invited into the master's joy. That's the real reward here, joy. To be part of the master's joy and his joy comes from the inclusion of the slaves. Joy comes from everyone flourishing. Just think of the good that they'll have done with all of that money. The third slave just doesn't see himself as belonging. He thinks he's an outsider. He's convinced himself that he's not really part of this household. He's not really trusted. He's not really cared about. Not really loved. But why? Because the third slave is afraid. 
And that's the very thing Jesus tells us more than anything else that we do not need to be. Do not be afraid. But he is afraid. And so the third slave decides not to take part. He decides not to participate. He buries what he's been given in a hole. And all because he doesn't understand what the master is really like. The third slave doesn't get to participate in the master's joy. His fate is the opposite to that. It's what Matthew calls the outer darkness where there's wailing and gnashing of teeth. We need to be very careful not to think that this confirms what the slave says about his master. The fate is the consequence of the slave's own decision. That fate is to be out in the cold and dark when he could be inside in the warmth and light. But that's a choice he's made. His punishment is self-inflicted. His decision is completely based on his misunderstanding of who the master is. He has been invited and included. There's even a recognition of how much he can participate. We're all different after all. But he refuses to join in. He's afraid that what he's been given will run out and that the punishment will be his master's anger. The irony is that in failing to act he creates his own punishment. And we do the same. It might seem like an easy answer to say that bad things happen because we fail to act, but they do. War is a failure to build peace. Famine and poverty are a failure to share our resources. As a world, we have more than we could ever need, and yet we choose to believe the lie of scarcity. We choose to believe that others will come and take what we have. We choose to believe that the poor are lazy and the sick are to blame. We choose to ignore that for generations our country has assets stripped the world and called it progress and civilization, and often hidden behind the gospel as it did it. Sometimes the story that is told about who we are and who God is isn't true. God's not angry. You don't have to be afraid. You're loved beyond all you can imagine. Believing that is true has consequences. It means love and justice and mercy and kindness and peace are our reality. So what will we choose? Will we step out and risk all, knowing that God's love isn't something that can ever run out? Will we bury our faith in the garden? Will we just close the doors and hide from the world? Never risk an act of kindness or love or mercy because we're afraid that it won't go well? That someone might throw it back in our face? If we don't step out, we're creating our own world surrounded by darkness and pain because because we join with those who have decided God's love's not for them. I'm fed up of a world full of darkness. I'm sick of a world where the sound of wailing and gnashing of teeth are normal. And I don't want to be afraid anymore. Do you?
Let us pray. God, you have reminded us that all humanity is connected. We are dependent on one another and on the earth that you created. So help us to live in love, caring for one another, building up one another in love and reverence. May we never avert our eyes when any of your children suffers, but instead hear you calling us to make a difference. May we never feel self-sufficient, but always be aware of how we need each other. May we never be silent when our voices should be raised in protest. God, it is not your will that any should suffer, so help us to pray for and work towards justice, inclusion, equity and love. With all that we have, bearing one another's burdens, sharing one another's sorrows, God, help us to use our power wisely and always for good. All this we ask in your name as we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Our faith asks much of us. Sometimes it can feel too much. So as we end our time together, know that you are enough. Your presence and faithfulness are a great witness to God's love. You are a beloved child of God, so know God's blessing. The blessing of God known to us as creator, source, and spirit with you this day and always. 
Yeah.